Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. Listen up. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high hello, everybody in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me, as per usual, is my good and, good friend and colleague. He is Mile High Huddle Senior NFL Draft Analyst, uh, the one and only Eric Trickle. Eric, man, uh, tough game coming up this week. There's a lot of storylines to discuss about the, the Broncos and the Raiders coming up this week. Obviously, both teams coming in at three and two. The Raiders look like they're in some turmoil, but the Broncos aren't necessarily faring much better with a lot of criticisms going all, all around the, the media and around the NFL world in general regarding this coaching staff. So before we get into that, man, how you doing? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm going. Um, it's been a very, it's been a long week. Um, I know you wanted to grab, but I'm going to grab that comment real quick. Um, Joseph Malinowski came in and said, Hey, Broncos country. You can't watch night. Need a favor. My friend's mom. She's my second mom is in the hospital with blood clots in her lungs and chest. Could be her last night. Please pray. God bless. Thanks. Well, Joseph, your second mom is definitely in our thoughts and prayers. Yeah. And, um, I understand what you're going through. Uh, my mom was diagnosed with cancer on Monday night, and uh, I got the text message just before we went live that she's in surgery right now to hopefully remove it and hopefully be good. So you definitely have our thoughts and prayers are with you and your yeah. friend's mom. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to you, Joseph, and to Eric, to you. And I know there's some other stuff going on behind the scenes, and I don't want to get into, into any of that. Um, but uh, you, you, you especially, everybody especially, but you you especially are definitely in my family's thoughts and prayers and especially mine. Um, don't want to start off on a somber note, but Joseph, to you as well, thoughts and prayers to your friend's mom, your second mom, and to everybody uh, that, that might be going through a difficult time right now. And it, I mean, we're here for a distraction for everybody. That's what we do here on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. We bring you guys uh, a lot of um, great football commentary, some interesting interesting takes regarding the Denver Broncos, and hopefully get you away for, even if it is only just an hour, but get you away from what's going on in the real world. Because, I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot more bigger things going on than just football. So for us to be able to, for you to come here and listen to us talk football and interact with us and everything, thing we uh we we definitely appreciate that and hopefully we can offer you guys just a, a little break from from the real world and eric i know you need this as as much as everybody else does so again thank you for joining us but guys uh we're gonna break down some stuff regarding the uh um regarding the broncos and the broncos coaching staff but before we get into that really fast gotta do the matters of business and and say hello to everybody in the chat here in just a second but guys make sure you guys are fo following us on twitter by finding me at sanderson mhh for eric at eric trickle shout out to scott kennedy behind the scenes running the ones and twos at scout kennedy as well um also guys make sure you're following at mile high huddle for instant news and analysis on your denver broncos you're going to get film breakdowns opinion articles literally any news that comes out uh, regarding Denver Broncos, you're going to find it at Mile High Huddle. Um, 
Chad, you have the uh, Chad sitting behind the scenes too. Uh, shout out to uh, Chad doing doing the Lord's work and keeping the site up and running, even though he's on vacation. Uh, at Chad and Jensen, by the way, guys on Twitter, you can find him. Uh, the stars update. We're still kind of working on that, but uh, um, this month, guys, we're trying to get another two hundred fifty thousand stars from everybody on the Facebook side of things. Um, we're going to be uh, giving away a Pat Sertan jersey at the end of this month. Um, I'm not sure who won the Von Miller jersey last month, but I, I can't remember the entire deal. It's been kind of a rough day. There we go. Now we've got uh, – here, here it is, a 37% complete, 93,000 stars, 250,000 stars total. We'll get you guys into that Pat Sertan jersey. Um, what, what's the day? So we're about halfway through the month, so we still got some work to do, guys. Randy Jones leading the way up there, 11,500 stars. Mrs. Moody, uh, Michael Ronquillo in the house as well, uh, Shane Daniels. Uh, we've got Lawrence Rivera in there as well. That's your top five. Josh Hoyle, number six. Peter Middleton over in Cambodia. Uh, Travis Weber, Andrew Lampe, uh, and Mike Reno round out your top ten. I'm not sure, Scott. Do you have the the Facebook or the the YouTube supporters here? Uh, there we go. Michaela Parker, the uh, Duchess of the Mile High Huddle community, in the very first place after a very generous donation late last night. Uh, Mark from Georgia in there as well. Uh, Christy, the queen of MHH, the ladies doing all the heavy lifting right now. Naj Altaf, uh, pleasure to meet that guy. Uh, Seth Harmon, round out your top five. That top five is also going to be put into the giveaway for the Pat Sertan jersey. Now, with that, guys. Again, welcome into the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about this coaching staff and what they need to do to cool the seats just a little bit because pretty much everyone in Broncos country is up in arms with the way that this coaching staff has allowed this team to perform after starting off the season 3-0. and Now, Eric, I'm going to let you take it away here really fast. We'll start off with Vic Fangio, the head coach, the guy running the show. What are the biggest things that he needs to do to cool his seat off just a little bit? It might not be like blazing hot, but it's definitely getting warm. Listen up, Broncos country. TickPick should be your first choice to buy football tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Huddle Up podcast and the Blue Wire Network. Denver Broncos football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Broncos tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right, guys. When we were searching for tickets for the MHH meet and greet for Week 3 at home, Broncos versus Jets, TickPick had us locked down. So visit TickPick.com slash huddle today and use the promo code huddle to save $10 on your first order of Broncos tickets. Well, I mean, besides winning, <clears throat> that's the biggest and most obvious thing that any coach is on the hot seat can do is win. Besides that, the team's just got to stop looking so unprepared for the matchups, for especially against the, the more threatening opponents like the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. They came out such low starts, being looking so unprepared, outmatched, outclassed, and that's just got to that's gotta stop. They got to start a little bit hotter on offense and on defense. He's got to make what adjustments that need to be made between games, especially with a short week coming up. Like it, It's it's not going to be easy for him, and it's something he's a coach who seems to be stuck. Not so much like – what's the right wording here? Um 
not super stuck in his old ways, but still has a lot of the old ways that are just kind of stuck, have stuck with him that he's just not kind of pulling away from some things he has. And we just got to see, continue to see that growth from him as a head coach. And at this point, you got to start wondering to yourself is like, are we actually going to see it? He's still making similar mistakes that he made when his first year as a rookie head coach. And while his defense is doing a mostly solid job over the, so far this season, they've had their inconsistencies that for being such a bright defensive mind coach that you just don't want to see allowing such big plays to the Ravens multiple times, allowing the Steelers offense to run all over them when the only real threat was Najee Harris and just do what basically manhandle that defense, Kyle Fuller getting picked on, like you gotta, you kind of got to figure out ways to keep that from happening. Yeah, I, I'm going to elaborate on that just a little bit. Andrew Lampe jumping in and dropping some stars saying, good evening, Andrew, and thank you, thank you again for joining us tonight. Uh, let's give a shout-out to to a bunch of other people in here. We've got Michael Ronquillo in the house on Facebook, Antonio Aragon, Pat Shermer has to go. We'll get to that conversation here in just a little bit. Uh, Biggie Bronco, what's up, my dude? J.R. Whitehead as well. Uh, obviously, Peter Middleton in the house shouting out all the stars. we got a bunch of them lining up here soon. Uh, so here we go. Why is Reed? ahead of Cooper. I'm surprised that they've not been mixing that up with the lack of production on that side. Eric? Well, I mean, Reed's just ahead of Cooper. Um, Cooper, there's still a lot that Cooper's got to grow on. He's not getting... I mean, when he goes on there, even from Reed, you can see a major step back in the performance of the defense on that side, the defensive front, when Cooper goes out there. He's just not up there yet. I mean, he had a great preseason, yeah, but he was beating up on guys who weren't starters, and it's really showed now that he's going against starters. He just isn't ready yet. Well, and a big part of that is the functional strength that he has right now is just not up to the NFL standard. He's not very good in the running game for the most part. He does a, a fairly decent job of getting off of blocks and he's using it as athleticism still, but he's just, he's got to grow into that more, that bigger role. I mean, he had the heart palpitation issues that kind of sidelined him over the summer for a little bit. He's a seventh round draft pick. He had the talent to be in at least the, the probably the top four rounds, but still he's a rookie. You got to let this kid just take his lumps. He's, he's getting a lot of playing time from from everything that i've seen is i think he's getting like 20 snaps a game or something like that like he's actually on the field a lot more it's just like eric said that drop off from malik reed to jonathan cooper is that great and the drop off from von miller to andre mintz who's been rotating in for him is even worse like these these young guys have to start to develop a little bit faster but you can't really blame them there are rookies in the nfl uh, Josh Hoyle jumping in here. Go Broncos. Hashtag Broncos country. We appreciate the stars there, buddy. Um, Lawrence Rivera, nothing to say. Just showing some love, but we appreciate you as always for joining us tonight. Now I want to go. Oh, Gary leaves Palmer jumping in here as well. Hello, Lance, Eric and Broncos country. Hello, Gary. Uh, pleasure to see you in the house as well tonight. Uh, Peter Middleton. So who is to blame for the defense? Is that Vic Fangio? I'm going to go back to kind of something that you said here uh, just a second ago. And the, the team being unprepared. I'm not necessarily sure that I agree with that, but also I do. The The way that I kind of elaborated it on uh, on Twitter the other day was that it, they're, they're not unprepared. They're very well prepared in bad game plans. Like, so they're, they're doing what the, what the, what the coaches are asking them to do. They're just not, they're, it's just not the right game plan. Like going against the Baltimore Ravens a couple weeks ago, they literally set out to stop the run and said, Lamar Jackson, go ahead and beat us. And damn it, he did. He threw for 319 yards, had that big, long touchdown pass to uh, to Marquise Hollywood Brown. Like they they dared him to beat him, to, to beat the Broncos, and he did. Like that's exactly what they wanted him to do, and he actually did it. 
you have to adjust on the fly on that. That that's a bad game plan. You actually you have to play maybe play that a little bit more straight up. Eric, do you agree with that, or am I a little bit off base there? Um, well, on the on the play you highlighted, like that's a little bit of not exactly being prepared. They weren't expecting that kind of thing from the Ravens. It's something that they do just not frequent enough, and they were wanting to test Lamar Jackson. And then it also is execution. I mean, I think it was Kareem Jackson who came out and admitted that he just didn't get enough depth on that because he wasn't expecting it. That falls on the coaches. That falls on not being prepared. And then when you look at the Steelers game, that even more so shows it wasn't a game plan issue. They claim planned it just fine. It just came down to they weren't prepared for for everything that the Steelers are going to push, going to throw at them, and then just failures by Kyle Fuller on three big plays by him, and then failures by multiple others, by the run defense not getting enough push. Well, why weren't they getting enough push? I mean, this was a Steelers offense that was banged up or a Steelers offensive line that's banged up and one that's been getting pushed around a lot. Like there, there was no reason for that. And that just falls down to that. They entered the game unprepared. I don't know with the Steelers game in particular. I don't know if the players were like overlooking the Steelers for some reason or what, but there was definitely an issue of it that they just got them off to a slow start. Yeah, and something that you didn't really touch on there was the lack of energy. Like the the Steelers crowd was fired up, the Steelers team was fired up. They came out and was ready to punch the Broncos in the mouth, and the Broncos came out flat and emotionless. I mean, Vic Fangio kind of elaborated on that, and Travis, we'll get to you here in just a second, buddy. Hold on for just a quick minute. Um, but uh, with with Vic Fangio, he's like, yeah, they hit us on that that deep touchdown, and now all of a sudden everybody else comes out flat, or at least it looks like everybody's unprepared. That is an issue. That is definitely an issue. This team does lack it does have kind of an unpreparedness thing I, like i said i think it's more um well prepared and bad game plans but the lack of execution is the is the big thing uh kyle uh, kyle fuller obviously is a guy getting targeted a lot kareem jackson looks like he's lost a step this broncos pass rush is still just completely benign like they are they have no sense of urgency from this team as a whole and that does go into a lack of preparedness uh scott you want to grab travis really fast um Go Real ahead. quick on, on that note, just a fun fact when talking about the Broncos pressure, and they're def- they're they're not getting enough from my taste. But for the Bears averages when under Vic Fangio, Denver's actually right there on pace with them through five games. Right. Um, but the issue is is that they got those in 16 games. This is a 17 game season, and they're barely just in line with them. Sacks, they're right on there with like through five games, they're right there with it. But the total pressures and pressures are in a way, more predictive of defensive success than sacks are. And uh, Brandon Saley talked about that a little bit. And um, so we definitely got to see more for it. But it's not like they're a terrible unit. It's just they don't have the consistency. And the issue is that they rely so much on that pressure that they can't hold up on the back end well enough if they don't get it to still be successful or capitalize off of bad throws. Right, and which is wild because the secondary is the highest paid secondary in the NFL, and everyone thought that that was the best unit on this Broncos team. But I digress. Uh, Travis Weber jumping in here, dropping some stars. Uh, good evening, Broncos country, Lance and Eric. I want us to win, but I have already made up my mind that Fangio is going isn't going to get us there. We need someone who is up to speed with the game today. And I know it won't happen midseason, but if we lose to the Raiders with the position they are in, Fangio and Shermer needs to be shown the door. Um, 
I, I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to see Pat Shermer get his plate calling stripped away from him after this game. Like honestly, that would if, if he can't develop a good game plan going against this weaker Raiders defense, and they've been playing pretty decent football, but they're not a they're not a good defense. Denver has some really good matchups that they can exploit here. Um, they, but man, it, the Pat Shermer has to be able to figure out to to get out of his own head a little bit. We'll we'll get back to that here in just a second, mm. but it's it's. It's bad with with Pat and Vic. I mean, there's there's still some issues with him as well. I mean, one of the biggest things that I've seen. We'll get into this. Uh, actually, let me grab this from Lawrence. Uh, can we pull together a, a second winning push? Uh, they can steal one from the Raiders, and but I don't think that they're going to fare very well in Cleveland, Eric. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think that they'll end up going into Cleveland. I think that with everything going into this Raiders game, I really wouldn't be surprised if they win it. They're Mike Shanahan's going into the ring of fame. There's going to be a lot of emotions for that. They're, they're going to be a very intense team, especially with what Mike Shanahan was what, like 27 and seven against the Raiders or something like that. I can't remember yeah. his actual, like he just annihilated them with consistency and it'll be a very rough day in Denver. If they don't beat the Ravens on the day, Mike Shanahan gets into it. I think they pull it out this time and then lose on the following week. Now going on off of Travis Weber's comment real quick, I don't see any coach getting fired during the season. And the simple reason for that is if you're firing a head coach, then you're typically wanting to get a look at one of your um, coordinators to possibly take over the head coaching job in the interim. Same thing with firing coordinator. You're looking at one of your position coaches that wanting to possibly take over long-term and giving them the job interim on the interim. I don't see that being the case with Denver. I don't see them wanting to look at any of these staff for a promotion. So I think they'll stick with the staff throughout the season. And depending on the results, make some changes afterwards. But the one change I could see is Pat uh, Shermer losing play calling duties to Mike Shula, specifically Mike Shula, no one else. Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily hate that with what he was able to do with Cam Newton and guiding one of the most prolific offenses in the NFL and back in 2015. Uh, Travis Weber jumping in here, uh, prayers and positive thoughts sent to Eric and also to, to Joseph Malinowski, who came in early and said uh, that his second mother is having some serious health issues. Um, again, prayers to both you guys. Antonio Aragon with a $20 super chat. Uh, have to pull out a win for Mike Shanahan. Score predictions? Uh, check out the Mile High Huddle Roundtable. I predicted a blowout. That's just my personal thing. Uh, do you guys plan on doing another meet and greet? I missed you guys and would like an, uh, would like another opportunity. Uh, not this year, but it does sound like we want to try to do that every year at least one time. Um, I know that there was rumblings a couple of years ago when the draft was going to be in Vegas that we were going to try to get everybody down to Vegas to go to the NFL draft. So uh, keep your ear to the ground on that one. There might be some more announcements coming soon, but I cannot definitively definitively say anything to that as of this particular moment but thank you antonio for your support uh to get back to our conversation at hand eric you you talked about the uh um the lack of preparation and the team just looking you know lost at times and stuff like that the biggest thing to me is vic fangio has to stop trying to be the smartest man in the room like it when, it, when well, he talks to go ahead I don't think that's the issue with Vic Fangio. I think that's the issue with Pat Shermer. Well, Pat, Shermer th Pat Shermer thinks he's a genius when really he's not. Right. Like, and, I, have an, I have an article up that just absolutely rips him to shreds about that. He wants to be some super smart offensive play caller, and he's not. Sometimes his play designs are great. It's just the timing of calling them. The failure to set up defenses to end up with that gotcha play a little bit later. He just doesn't do that. Goes away from the run when it's working and then sticks with the run when it's not. Uh, it's just he again he tries to be the smartest man in the room and he just isn't 
Well, and I, I was actually going to get to that as well for for uh, for Pat Shermer. But to me, it's like anytime you you sit down and you have a discussion with Vic Fangio, as far as the media is concerned, and you can find all of this information, guys. Like go to the Broncos Twitter page, and they literally will show all of the press conferences. And you listen to him answer these questions, and it's half belittling, quite honestly. It's like you guys don't know what you're talking about. You're asking all these questions, but you really don't understand the game of football. I really want to just like scream through my phone or my radio or wherever I'm listening to it and say, dude, the NFL is more accessible to the general population than it has ever been right now. You have Game Pass. Yeah, it costs $100 a year to be able to use it, but you can get all 22 coaches film. You can watch highlight videos for days if you want to. You can get advanced analytics and scouting grades and performance uh, performance evaluations from literally anywhere you come into the into the press conference and you're you're saying you know well we were in man against uh the the pittsburgh steel or we were in zone against the pittsburgh steelers on that play where von miller was lined up against chase claypool run back to the all 22 they're in two man two uh, cover two man underneath in base they were in zone i I disagree i thought it was they were in zone nope they got they got pulled von miller got pulled over because they were in zone I, I, it didn't. It didn't seem like that to me. It just. It looks so weird. But the 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 bigger point of that is, why are you in base personnel? Two cornerbacks, two two linebackers, in a four wide receiver formation. Like the 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 Steelers came out four wide. You're still in your base personnel. Why are you even letting that play happen? Call a timeout and get the right personnel on the field. Like that, that's okay. game management issues. Well, no, it's not because then if he calls a timeout and it still doesn't work, then he's just going to get blasted for calling the timeout there and wasting it. Like it, it was a loser situation. They got caught with their pants down and they got burned for it. Yeah. So you've got to, you've got to have enough awareness to be able to, uh, to stop that situation from happening and then tell the truth, come back and be like, okay, so what happened? What, if the media says, why did you call that timeout late in the third quarter against what we had a bad, bad matchup on the field and we wanted to alleviate that. So we called a timeout to get us into the right formation, get the personnel the, the right way. And we went and attacked them again. Tell the truth. Don't try to just belittle the media and lie to everyone saying this is what it was. This is well, it doesn't necessarily appear that way, Vic. Go back to the game film and watch it. Like yeah, it, I think I think you're just taking his comments a little bit out of context and everything like that. I'd, reading his response and stuff, I don't get the sense that he's like trying to belittle the media or anything like that. And while he's not being hundred percent honest, find me a coach who is. Like there is a well, and that's that's and fair. I mean he's he, I mean, as I said, he was stuck in a, in that situation with Von Miller on Claypool. It was a lose-lose situation. I mean, the only way that it – well, okay, so it was a mostly a lose situation. Only way it wouldn't have is if they did whatever and ended the defense ended up getting the stop. That was the only way that he was going to come out unscathed. Calling a timeout, whatever, like, as long as they failed to play, he was going to get flack for that. I mean, it's just – Fangio deserve, deserves plenty of um, blame for some of his answers. But I mean, like, yeah, I just don't see that he's he's belittling the media or anything like well, that I, or belittling people. I, I, I wasn't necessarily trying to mean it like that. It's just like the, there are times there are some other answers that he'll, he'll give, you know, and say that it does sound like you don't necessarily know what you're talking about. It, it, it goes into Pat Shermer as well. And if we want to dive right into that, it's it's stop for Pat Shermer. Stop. I, it, let me let me grab this from Peter really fast. Uh, let's have rose tinted glasses on. Uh, what have the Broncos got going for them that will let them win against the Raiders and the Browns? Our coaches aren't doing great, but the players are playing well, even with the injuries. I really want to talk positively about the Broncos. And, I mean, it, that's, a, that's a good point. So what do they have going for them that will help them get a win? 
Um, they have so much talent on really on both sides of the ball. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, I know that he's getting a lot of blame for it, but he's been mostly playing well with issues around him. They, the Raiders are a team that is leaderless at the moment. Um, so there's ways they can go out and win. They've got the, they've gotten beaten down twice in a row, basically. So there's going to be some pride on the line here for some of these players. Uh, Kyle Fuller, especially, um, I think that the Browns is going to be much more difficult, but they do have the issues that, uh, Baker Mayfield, he's not playing exactly outstanding football or great football. He's just kind of being what Baker Mayfield is. He is what he is at this point. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a possibility that they can go out and win both these games. I just find it unlikely. They've, they have the ability to. And here's the thing for as much crap as we give the coaches is they, both of them, Pat Shermer and Vic Fangio have had some really great moments this season. Pat Shermer has had some amazing play calls and play designs. Mm-hmm. It's just not with consistency yet. So maybe he taps into that a little bit more consistency. Maybe he taps into stop or tries to stop being the smartest man in the room and trying to make a point with the running game like he did over the last two weeks, mm-hmm. things like that. Like, so there's a possibility of it, but it's just going to have to take a, some growth from the coaches a little bit. Yeah. And I, I don't disagree with anything that you just said there. I really don't. Uh, uh, Pat Shermer, there have been a lot of really clever designs from his passing schemes. It just, it doesn't seem like they're, it still just doesn't seem like they're using the personnel, especially the personnel they have right now with Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler not playing. They're not utilizing the personnel that they have to maximize the, the, the potential of this offense, even with the guys they still have. I mean, Cortland Sutton is still a, a great wide receiver. Tim Patrick is playing amazing football as well. He's like a, over a hundred targets without a drop. Like this is in like he's playing great football. But where's Noah Fant at? Like why are can't they not- get open? Okay, so go <laughs> go go ahead on that against the Steelers. Bit. Like he should have been able to get open a lot more. He he looks like he's just not one hundred percent out there. He was dealing with that lower leg injury. I don't know if it's bother him or not he just is struggling to get separation and in the nfl separation is really the name of the game and that's where no offense strong suit is he's not a guy who's going to make contested catches that's never been his game going back to iowa he's not being used he's not being targeted because he's not getting open enough and we all know teddy bridgewater his strengths and weaknesses he's not going to try to force it to teddy or to Noah Fant. and so they're it's leading them from going away from him this is a issue with pat Shermer, though he's got to try to do some some play designs to try to help get Noah Fant open, and we haven't seen those yet. Right. But I mean, Noah Fant here is like he is not living up to the first round pick that he was used to be. No, he is I, quickly he is quickly fading, and it's gone to the point where possibly he shouldn't even be a top two tight end on this team because his blocking is absolutely atrocious. Right. Like I could think of two good blocks off the top of my head, and the rest, like so many terrible ones. Like it's just he's got to step it up himself if he wants to be used more. And I don't disagree with that, but it just seems like against the Steelers, they were using him as a as a chip defender, or as a as a chip blocker to try to help out against T.J. Watt. Which obviously, why wouldn't you want to do something like that? But they really rarely even tried to target him or get him going vertically in the passing game until the fourth quarter when he finally started getting targeted. Like I don't disagree with you; he's not playing to the the potential that he has as a first round pick. But manufacture some touches for the guy. I mean, the Raiders have an, an, a highly athletic guy in Darren Waller, and they manufacture 
manufacture targets for him by using him correctly in the passing game, understanding his limitations as a blocker, even though he might be a, a better blocker than Noah Fant is, to tell you the truth. But they understand that's one of our best offensive weapons, and we're going to use him the way that he needs to be properly utilized. And we might see some more of that with Greg Olson this week calling the plays for the, for the Raiders against the Broncos. Like, he really likes to target the tight ends. It's a guy that brought in Julius Thomas when he was the offensive coordinator down in Jacksonville. So, like, there's there's a certain amount of of play. Uh, the play from Noah Fant is very frustrating, and I understand that. But there's also a little bit of criticism that needs to be gone towards Pat Shermer by not having him run the seams, not having him run those deep crossing routes. Instead of using him as a check down and a dump down safety valve kind of a guy, start utilizing the athleticism that you have with him. It just doesn't make any sense to me. They do. He isn't getting open. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like they, that's really what it comes down to. Like they can't. They they can do more to manufacture touches for him to help him get separation. But when they do use him in these other routes for these um, deeper intermediate routes, he isn't getting any separation. He's getting caught in double coverage with a safety over top and a linebacker beneath him, and he's not able to get away. I know he's playing injured and he's been having that injury and everything like that. But I mean, like that's going to start up a whole nother conversation with Noah Fant because every year of his career, we're dealing with injuries from him. Yep. And like at some point, everyone plays in the NFL plays with an injury. Like you just got to learn how to perform with it. Noah Fant's not. Yeah. Uh, and I don't probably- mean this to hate Noah Fant. I've defended Noah Fant for a while, but I mean, it's gotten to the point where step it up. Or don't Albert Okwebenam outside of that drop against the Baltimore right Baltimore Ravens was that the win? Uh, yeah, I think it, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's Anyways, right. long week games blurred together a little bit. <laughs> um, outside of that drop, he's been playing very well and he's exceeded my expectations. Eric Sobert is playing extremely good football. Mm-hmm. So and they're both doing much better than Noah Fant as his blockers. I will say the biggest issue with that the Broncos are doing over the last two weeks that really falls on Pat Shermer when it comes to the play calls and not using the players right is his insistent you insistent use of 11 personnel when they're down their two of their top four receivers and they still have two really good tight ends, even with yep. Albert Oakley, hurt like with how bad Denver is out of 11 personnel. Stop it. They've been so effective running out of playing out of 12 and 13 personnel. Start using that a little bit more. I know like, especially with their receivers hurt so bad. Yeah. I, it goes into another thing here. The Broncos have two really good short yardage running backs in Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. And you get down inside the five yard line on the last drive of the game. You're getting ready to go tie the football game. You need a touchdown and a two point conversion against the Steelers to do it. And you throw the ball four times, including a goal line fade to Deontay Spencer. Shout out to Charlie Beagle for pointing that out in the chat. What are you doing? You have Tim Patrick and you have Cortland Sutton, two high quality jump ball receivers, and you call goal line fade for Deontay Spencer. That's a terrible utilization of of the personnel that you have on hands. You need to be at least try to run the football one time in that situation. You're like the three yard line. What are you doing? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, I, I, I can get to get a, a point about the run game not being effective in short yardage situations. The offensive line wasn't blocking particularly very well. It was still being at least utilized correctly and effective, at, at least in the second half anyways. Why are you not utilizing the personnel that you have to the best of their abilities and putting your team in a, a, an opportunity to, to succeed? It doesn't make sense to me. 
he tries to explain it away too. You know, we, we want to, we want to stick to the running game. It just wasn't being effective. This is against the Baltimore Ravens. Like we want to use, utilize the running game. We, it just wasn't being effective. You were running at six yards carry. You were actually gashing the Ravens uh, defense. You ran the ball nine times in the first half and four times in the second half. Get out of here with that. We want to be committed to the running game. It just wasn't working. No, you weren't committed to the running game because you just didn't call those plays. Then the next week, to shut the media up, you came out, you ran run, run, pass on every single possession in the first half except for the very last one. And just to prove a point, well, it's not effective. It's not actually working. No, get creative with your play calling and stop being a douche. Sorry, that's my hot take for tonight. <laughs> um, And on that, we had somebody talk about it. What Trimmer actually said about that Deontay Spencer fade with 22 seconds remaining was he was an outlet in that situation. Everybody that runs routes has an opportunity to catch a ball. He was in there and had the corner out. We threw it to him, but we just didn't connect. There were two under routes and we had a short post on the backside. There were other places to go with the ball first. That just happened to be where it went. So it sounds like that wasn't the actual intention of where to go with the ball. That just happened to be where Teddy was and watching the play when Teddy actually goes to wind up and throws Deontay Spencer has the opening for it there. That wasn't a bad throw. It, it failed. But like you, you got to watch the play here a little bit and yeah, realize I know. Like, when when, Te- when Teddy goes to make that throw, it wasn't a bad throw. The defender just closed, and I still don't like the decision. I don't like the play called there with using Spencer in that way exactly. I don't like Teddy's yeah. decision there, but it is what it is. That's one of those plays where it's like I don't want to rip him for it, but at the same time, like I'm not gonna do go super hard in defending him. That's that's really what I was trying to get at. So you you have this play call and that's the design. You have the outlet and you put Deontay Spencer in that role. Like I don't I don't know what it takes to to change the formation a little bit or move some guys around and put Cortland Sutton into that and have Deontay Spencer run the underneath route or whatever you got to do. But to to put your players in that kind of position, yeah, the play call wasn't necessarily the greatest, and I I will definitely agree with you on that. But put your players in the right position to succeed. Say, all right, Deontay, you're going to run the crossing route. We want Cortland Sutton running the fade. We're going to throw it up to you. Let the big body go and get it. And Deontay Spencer actually did have a good opening. It was a bad throw by Bridgewater. And I'm using a little bit of uh, some hindsight being 2020. But still, it goes back to the same point. Why are you not utilizing the personnel that you have in the correct ways? You're calling the right plays. You're just not using the players to the way that they need to be used. It, Brian Greenfield came in with a $10 donation says my question is who's more at fault for this team to play under Fangio is it Fangio the GM or Shermer I was blaming Shermer but man this but man this has to go on Fangio as a head coach Um, it's everybody I mean the, I mean it, when talking about the coaches and it's always so easy to blame the coaches that is always the the first place where everybody goes to blame really once yeah. the game's over. It's always the coaches. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, in both the Broncos losses, especially this loss to the Steelers, there is far more blame that needs to go on the players. Honestly. Just multiple failure to execute um on plays that shouldn't have been a problem. On plays that ended up being huge plays for the Steelers. Kyle Fuller had multiple. Draymond Jones had a big one. Like you just do that. Like I understand coaching. You have to have them prepared and everything like that. And you got to teach them not to do these things, but you still have to go out there and execute. There's only so much coaching can do. Yeah. It, say, and so, yeah, I would say that it's actually Fangio and Tremor while they deserve their blame. More of it actually goes on the players at this point. Well, and you're absolutely right on that. And I, I don't, I'm not going to disagree with you because the, the players have to execute the plays that are being called. 
Um, it, now you can you can get into it a little bit deeper and you can say, well, you're not utilizing your players correctly. It doesn't matter. Those players still have to go out there and execute their assignments. And Vic Fangio has actually said that multiple different times. You know, there's it was a it was bad execution. It was bad technique on this play. We've got to do a better job of coaching those players. Those players have to be more responsive to that coaching as well. So it's a two way fold. But again, it goes right back to saying that the players have to execute what they're being asked to do. And those guys just simply aren't doing it. In, in a lot of different aspects. I mean, um, there's there's some issues up front with the, with the offensive line not being able to sustain blocks in the running games, and I, you can see that it's definitely out there. Uh, Kyle Fuller, Kareem Jackson, not holding true to their responsibilities, dropping down underneath. They just look like they've lost a step. There's there's a lot that goes into it, and yeah, as Scott actually astutely points out, it's it, it's easy to replace one or two coaches. It's really hard to replace 53 players, so it's easier to blame the coaches than the players. Well. Those those needs that needs to be a conversation with everyone as well. I'd also say that part of that too is that there's a lot more connection from fans to the players and coaching staffs outside of Mike Shanahan. The but I actually won't go down that road because I know that'll get me a lot of hate. But uh, yeah, there's always seems to be outside of a few more connection to players than any coach. Yeah. Uh, Brian Greenfield jumping in here. Brian, good to see you, man. Been a while since we've seen you. I think it, I didn't, I don't remember seeing you last week. It might be two or three weeks now. Uh, but I feel that Vic Fangio is coaching scared and he has a right to be. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with that because the, the media, the fan base right now is kind of up in arms and there's been a lot of issues with Vic and coaching scared and is, uh, it's hard for me to say that. I will be. I will say that he is coaching to not lose rather than coaching to win. That that's a big thing with him. Um, I wouldn't say he's coaching scared, and I wouldn't really. I don't think I would put it exactly that he's not. He's coaching not to lose. Um, but really, that's the best. That's the easiest way to say it is that he's coaching not to lose. But it's not exactly fitting with what's going on with him. Um, he's coaching to try to keep his job. Like, yeah. And in all honesty, like the play calls from the defense, they haven't been terrible. It's just come down to execution um, and effort and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a little bit rough there. It, it's it's a hard question to, ask, to, to answer, quite honestly, because it's so multifaceted. Um, I, I will say that Vic's game management for the most part this season has actually been a lot better other than the one issue I had again with the, the whole Von Miller and Claypool thing. We won't go back into that. Uh, but as far as his game management regarding timeout usage has been a lot better. Um, the that That's the big thing is he's at least making the right steps in the right direction right now. And to, to say that he's just coaching scared is not necessarily very accurate. I, I'm not exactly sure the best way to put that. So uh, sorry about that. Um, Peter Middleton jumping in here. Uh, why then are the players playing negatively after such a strong start? Did they believe the hype too much? Um, yes. Go, I, I think that there's a lot of that. I do, I do think there is a lot of that, especially after coming out three and oh, you dominated the teams that you needed to dominate, but then you fell flat on your face. Uh, especially against the Ravens offensively specifically. I, and there's some coaching aspect to that as well. But a, a big thing is you, you listen to some of the players and when they're, when they're talking, uh, you know, post game, they're doing their interviews and stuff like that, even through the week. I mean, there's a lot of guys, uh, especially sp specifically to that Ravens game that really questioned that, uh, that game plan, especially defensively. 
to instead of play them more straight up to sell out everything against the run, play some team first football and everything. They didn't necessarily like that. So is, is there maybe time for discussion about the coaches losing the locker room a little bit, or is that no. too hyperbolic? Yeah, there's no reason to have that discussion anytime soon. Okay. Uh, Michael Ronquillo jumping in here. Great show tonight on Dove Valley Deep Divers. Go Broncos and go Michael. Thank you for your support, buddy. We appreciate that. Uh, so let's let's flip the script just a little bit. Let's go to the defensive side of the football. Ed Donatel, um, for for what he is, is really a, gl- a glorified game planner. Vic Fangio calls a defense. But as far as the game plans are concerned, and this goes back into what I was kind of just saying, stick to what you know, stick to what you do best and and maybe dial it up a little bit, dial up what you do best and, and make it work the right way. Uh, Eric, you're probably going to defeat me on this one, but where are the real true twists and stunts from the front four? Like, why are we not getting some more consistent pressure? Is it just from guys not winning their one-on-one battles? Is it uh, a bad scheme design? Uh, are they not just trying to dial up enough pressure using some manufactured pressure blitzes and, and, and some twists and stunt schemes? Well, <laughs> there was a lot there uh, to your question. There's doing stunts and twists often. They still okay. do it. Probably, I can't remember exactly. I know it's one of the highest rates in the NFL still. Okay. Um, they're when they blitz, it's very effective. Um, they blitz not super frequently, but not infrequently either. It's they're about middle of the pack, I believe. Um, I'd have to double check on that. Uh, comes down to is. They're not winning one-on-ones. They're, Shelby Harris is struggling to get pressure. Mm-hmm. Malik Reed is getting basically owned outside of the Jets game. Um, that allows them to do enough to slow down Von Miller and Draymond Jones. Like you, the, Until Malik Reed and Shelby Harris start winning one-on-one more often, like it's going to be an issue to be consistent with it. Yeah. So going to the backside and into the secondary and stuff like that, I've actually been pretty impressed with the way that Donatello's kind of scheming some stuff up and Vic Fangio is doing a pretty decent job. It's just a lot of the player execution side of things. They're, they're, they're still running that quarters match stuff, but they're running some two man. They're running a lot of man stuff as well. They're mixing up this coverage scheme, which makes it even more difficult to defend against. Eric, do you have anything else to kind of uh, elaborate on that? Sorry, what was your question? The uh, the the way that they're they're scheming up the secondary just a little bit. They're using some players a little bit differently. They're um they're running some more complex coverages. Obviously, the quarters match stuff, but they're using a lot of cover six. They're using some two man looks. They're using even some cover three stuff where they'll rotate a safety down into the box, specifically Kareem Jackson, and get him closer to the line of scrimmage and stuff. Uh, and it's all pre uh, or post snap rotations and stuff like that. Am I wrong in that, or are is this the secondary running a lot more combination stuff? Um, they're running pretty, uh, a pretty good mix up of stuff. I actually have a tweet that I got to go find that will actually talk about specifically that question. So give me a second. Here we go. All right. So the Broncos, they are a little bit towards the top of it for cover two, but they're also running a lot of man one. Um, those are their two main coverages, uh, cover three and cover four are right there with it. Along with some man two. They're at the bottom of Tampa 2 and towards the bottom. Well, in terms of rate, they're up there with man zero, but it's definitely it's a lot of cover two and a lot of man one. Sorry, I, I totally lost my, my train of thought there. I just saw a comment but, uh, from Peter Middleton. He says, there's there's few coaches that I would definitely keep, though. Uh, I wanted to kind of break down into that. Eric, go ahead. Um, But I think what an issue with the secondary is that they – playing off so much i mean we've had some issues with uh 
corners not doing what they were actually told to do. We saw that with um, in the season opener with Patrick Sertan. We've seen that a couple times with Kyle Fuller. He's not trusting his technique, which when you actually watch him, I know Vic Fangio said that when you actually watch Kyle Fuller, when I went back and watched him against the Steelers, that was a very true statement. He just wasn't playing with sound technique and wasn't the technician that he's really grown to be in the NFL over the years. So it was a bunch of issues there and everything. Um, so it's a good mixture. Now, real quick, I want to touch on this comment here, and it's from Zabulon Omega, Kevin Lind, and he says, how great is it we let Brandon Staley go a couple years back? Um, here's the thing with this is when, um, it was a situation that wasn't going to just wasn't beneficial for Denver. Um, if Denver kept him, they would get a lot of flag for keep holding him back. They let him go take the Rams uh, defensive coordinator position. And he, a year later, he was a head coach. It sucks that they did that, but I mean, they were letting a guy go take the promotion. I know a lot of Bronco fans, when Denver tries to go get a coach from another team and they don't allow it, fans are mad. I mean, let the, let the coaches go have their promotion. It, it'll bite you in the butt sometimes. Sometimes it works out, but I mean, and this is one where it just really bites Denver in the butt because he ended up in the same division. And he turned out to be a fantastic coach on top of it. The the way that he's speaking to the media, the way that he's handling his game preparation, the, the players absolutely love him. They go to battle for him. They they play hard. They look very well prepared. Like that, that Chargers team is going to be scary with Brandon Staley. And some of the astute points that he had about the running game, um, the physicality that it brings and stuff like that, uh, how you don't need to have an effective running game to have an effective play action game. Like there's, there's a lot of things. And quite honestly, from a defensive coach, Coach, he could teach Pat Shermer a lot of different things because the, the the way that we're seeing Pat Shermer coordinate his game plans and stuff like that and call plays on the fly, it's Brandon Staley might be able to teach this guy a thing or two. Brian Greenfield jumping in here with the $10 super chat. Is it just me or are the last two weeks Sutton's effort has had me disappointed? I know stat-wise he had uh, he had a game last week in the second half, but in the first half he was piss poor and very disappointed. Thoughts on that, Eric? I mean, it's just been slow starts for the offense, and it's definitely starting to drag on him. Against the Ravens, I think there were some issues with the injury and everything like that, and uh, some of the passes that were thrown his way the second half. Um, but I, I, I'm i not sure if I'm ready to question his effort just yet, but I can definitely understand why people are going that way. Um, another comment here that I wanted to touch real quick was George Noon. says, good teams don't need to adjust. Uh, most teams adjust. Good teams, bad teams, doesn't matter. It's a game of football. It's a game of chess. You're always adjusting what you're doing. You try to stick to what you do best, mm -hmm. but you adjust it a little bit to still continue to work. And that's that's a big thing, especially offensively with this team. And it's gone. It's not just Pat Shermer. It goes back to Rich Scangarello. It goes back even further than that. This this team really doesn't have an identity. They they don't. They don't. They don't say. All right. Well, I'm. You know. This for an example here. On third and three, you know, with the John Elway and Terrell Davis back in the '90s, on third and three, you knew it was going to be 19 handoff, cut it back, and we're going to gain four yards, five yards. You knew that was what was going to happen. Every now and again, you you built a play action game, you bootleg, you you booted out out of that, took a shot down the field. But for the most part, this team had an identity back then. Right now, what exactly is this team's identity? Because it seems to change all the time. The, the one thing injured. that you can't say, well, and that that doesn't that doesn't help anything. But there's also the, the to the play calling aspect of it. The the one identity I think that you can come away from it is that 
Pat Shermer likes to go into into eleven personnel where where then he gets very predictable. It, it, like you you see it every single game. They're they're playing well in twelve and thirteen personnel. I don't know. I don't understand why they don't have some two back sets and stuff like that out there. But they, they, they'll get to an offense rolling and they'll start to get a good drive. And then Pat Shermer says we're going three wide and we're going to throw it three times and then we're going to punt. Like that's that's the offensive identity of this team. I know that's probably. I, <laughs> I'm hot takey today. I've been tired. Pat Shermer feels pressure when he shouldn't, and it, it's, and it's it dictates true. his play calls. Yes, that's that is what true. that is what will forever keep him as a not so good offensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right on that because he doesn't stick to what's actually working for him. The twelve personnel running, uh, running uh, Melvin Gordon between the tackles, get Javante Williams on the outside, let him you know one cut and go. Where is that at? Like Javante Williams has two long runs this season, running off tackle, especially against the Steelers. Forty-nine yard run, he barely made it, barely got tackled at the two-yard line. Like, where is that more often? That's something that works for this team. Why don't you use it and utilize that more often? It's, it's again, it's mind blowing, mind blowing to me. Uh, I want to go so, back to Brian's. Uh, go ahead, Eric. Sorry, real quick. I talked about it earlier with the Broncos blitzing to generate pressure and everything like that. They actually are the team that blitzes the fourth most time. Uh, fourth wow. Most. Okay. It, it the issue is, is that they're thirteenth in their ability to get pressures, and they are. Sorry, I lost where I was at now. Um. And yeah, they're so it's they're not winning one on ones. They blitz, they're blitzing a lot to try to generate pressure, and it's just not working out so well. Gotcha. Okay. Well, sorry for being wrong once again. That's that's my bag on this. I'm show. used to it. <laughs> I want to jump back to Brian's question really fast. The one about uh, Cortland Sutton over the last couple of weeks. Um, the, uh, sorry, we grabbed that really fast. Uh, to Sutton's effort, I don't necessarily believe that. I think that Cortland Sutton is one of the guys that puts in a lot of effort. I, I think that that's really that's the way that he leads this team is by going out there and letting his play you know, do the talking for him. He's also very good in the locker room as just far as a, a vocal leader as well. Um, I think there's still some issues with coming back off that ACL tear. And Eric kind of elaborated on that. There was only uh, maybe one or two plays where it's like, uh, I'm not sure exactly what was going on with that, but it doesn't seem like you're exploding out of your break. There was one specifically against the Ravens on an in-breaking route where he didn't come out hard and Bridgewater actually uh, – through to a spot expecting Sutton to be there and he wasn't there. So I, I don't want to really elaborate more on that. There is some merit to that claim, but at the same time, I think it's a little bit off base because Cortland Sutton is a team leader for a reason. It's because his play does a, a large volume of the speaking for him. Uh, let's see. Let's run to the comment section here really fast. Or do you want to talk about Tom McMahon other than just say that all the complaining He's, about him is just a moot point at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's like everybody knows how bad he is. Um, everybody knows that he's probably going to be fired. Like, just not – that's that. I mean, he won't be here next year. Um, probably maybe multiple other coaches won't be. Like, nobody talking about it. And Jody Moncrief comes in and says, so was I right on Bulls? He's been trash this year. Uh, Bulls has not been trash. Like, <laughs> has he? was he as great as last year? No, but he's still better than he was his first few years of his career. And he's still an above-average offensive tackle in here. So, yeah, a couple holding calls. I disagreed with the one against the Ravens. Um, I thought it was a little bit ticky tack. The one he had against the Steelers, though, that was a straight-up choke slam. That was deserved of being a hold. He's actually been pretty solid, and for the most part, outside of the penalties, he's been relatively unnoticed because he's been that good. And when you're an offensive uh, an offensive lineman or a cornerback, and you don't get talked about, that's because you're doing a damn good job. And yeah, so 
I digress on that point. Brandon Harden jumping in here with a $5 super chat. Uh, Bama Broncos, uh, this John Elway staff, Peyton will pick his staff next year. Maybe. Yeah. I, All depends on the outcome of the season. If they make the playoffs, this coaching staff's not getting fired. I, I don't it's disagree with that. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I really don't. Um, the the one thing that it, it's hard because you don't know how everything's going to play out. Obviously, we, we're not mind readers. We, we can't see into the future. If the Broncos fall apart and continue on this collapse that they have right now, lose to the Raiders, lose to uh, the the Browns and potentially even lose to the, to uh, the Washington football team before they go into the bye. You can definitely see some heat being generated a lot more than what is already being generated, but I don't think anyone's going anywhere. Um, McMahon and Shermer are the guys that are probably most likely to go, but if this team makes the playoffs, which they definitely still have an opportunity to do so they, like they need to win nine games out of their remaining 11, which is kind of a, a, a tall task, but at the same time, definitely doable with the schedule that they have. Uh, it, I think that a lot of it goes down to the performance of the team in general as a whole. The, where's the cohesiveness at? What? The, how does the preparation look? Um, how is the offense performing is a big thing because the defense has been playing actually pretty decent football for the most part. Um, so if, if, if everything goes, there's going to be a scapegoat, I think, towards the end of the season. It's probably going to be Pat Shermer. But there's a good chance Vic Fangio gets his last year of his contract. They bring in a new quarterback and a new offensive coaching staff and, and run it back next season, especially if they make the playoffs. Only if they make the playoffs. Only if they make the playoffs, Eric says. Only if they make the playoffs. I'm if they, if they miss, George Payton will pick his own staff. That wouldn't surprise me either. That would not surprise me either. Uh, so, Eric, let's let's get into this just a little bit because Benjamin Albright the other day had an interesting tweet. He also said it on um, Broncos Country tonight, the night before, and it was not that they're actually looking to replace Vic Fangio right now, but he gave a short list of some names to watch more than the, the, this is going to be the final list, but it's a short list of names to start watching, including Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia, uh, Scott Turner, who and I forget where he's at. Um, but then you have names like Jason Garrett, uh, Daryl Bevel, and Dan Quinn, who's a defensive coordinator in Dallas right now. Uh, that's not necessarily a very inspiring list of candidates for this Broncos team. But Eric, there's a, a reason behind that that list being named, at least for right now. Can you elaborate on that just a little bit? They all have connections to George Payton, either from Minnesota or from his time in Miami. And that list isn't as terrible as many on Twitter over the last few days have made it out to be. It's actually no. a pretty solid list. Other than Jason Garrett, Jason Garrett is the one that I don't necessarily want any part of. Uh, Daryl Bevel is actually very intriguing. We were talking with Carl Dumler on in our group chat about him the other day. Um, and there's some more speculation, and I won't get into that right now. But Daryl Bevel is actually a pretty decent coach, a pretty decent offensive coordinator for the most part. Uh, and Dan Quinn, as far as a leader, is is a very good leader. His his defensive scheme is starting to adapt a little bit more to today's NFL. Um, he's doing a really good job of getting his guys prepared, and they come to play well, other than Trayvon Diggs, who seemingly has six interceptions, but also is on pace to like allow the most total yards and coverage ever. Like it, it's a it's a weird dichotomy on that one, but for the most part, that list really isn't that bad. Jonathan Gannon is one that I'm really intrigued with too. Yeah, if you want the uh, the next Brandon Staley, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> no other way. I mean, I have a list out on it as well. It's five for each position. It's on Milo Huddle. You guys can go check it out. Uh, most of the people, I, actually, I don't think anybody on that Ben named is actually on mine. 
Um, I talk about, you know, uh, Brian Dabble. I talk about Kellen Moore, I believe. Um, for a head coach, it's five guys. Um, only one of them is a defensive guy. Um, since I know that so many fans here are wanting to go offensive-minded, um, but multiple guys for special teams, breaks them down a little bit, guys for the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator position. So make sure you guys check that out. Um, run a little bit some from some other options there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that list that Ben tweeted out, it's not that bad. John Gannon, he's a pretty good one. Um, Dan Quinn, as you said, like his cover three was a flash in the pan. I mean, it was the defense for five, six, five, six, seven years. Yep. And now it's starting to fade away, and he's completely adapted, and his defense is actually doing fairly well. Leslie Frazier is probably one of my favorite. I know a lot of people want to sit there and give the all the Bills defensive credit to Sean McDermott, which he gets some of it. But, I mean, Leslie Frazier is the defensive play caller there. He does most of the game planning for them. Um, Sean McDermott, from every conversation I've had, is that he is very hands-off and delegates very well. And hopefully that is something that Leslie Frazier picked up because his last time as a head coach, he didn't. Yeah. Um, and I know that a lot of people are going to be mad about retreads, but what is it like eight of the last 10 Super Bowl winning coaches have been retreads. So, well, it goes even further back than that. I think it's like 17 out of the last 20 or something like that. Like it, it goes even it, it, so. I, Andrew Mason actually had the tweet about it. And, and then Benjamin Albright uh, piggybacked off of that and kind of elaborated on it. But it's eight out of the last 10, I think. And if you remove the Belichick, uh, the Belichick dynasty there, it's like, or no, I can't remember exactly how it was. Go check that out at, uh, at Andrew Mason. But uh, James Grossman jumping in here. And he said earlier today, I, I saw this earlier that he loves the show and he's very happy to catch it live. And we're very happy that you're here and happy to shout you out, buddy. Uh, he says, my impression is we, the fan base, are just miffed about having what would seem to be a good roster. So the coaching must be the problem. So based on the first five games, which section of the team's roster would you say was overhyped during the offseason? I'm feeling like it's the secondary. I kind of tend yes. to agree on that one. I, I definitely <laughs> tend to agree on that one. Uh, the, the one thing that it, it, it just grinds my gears is the offense seems to not, and I go back to the offense. That's the, the specialty of my football is, is definitely offensive football for the most part. Uh, but the offense is underperforming through play calling, through execution, Injuries definitely take a part in that as well, but uh, the, the, really the the pass catchers it, and it goes to you know it's a synergistic effect. Teddy Bridgewater has seemingly been very well played, very well from at least my opinion. Um, he hasn't been you know lighting up the stat sheet by any stretch of the imagination, but just the 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 with the pass catching options that this team has with a quarterback that's playing pretty decently, you would expect to see this offense take off in some way, and they're just not. Uh, and I don't understand why. It, it, I really don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, sorry for that. I I I understand a lot of it, but at the same time, I don't like it's. It, it doesn't make sense. Is the biggest thing. It doesn't make sense that why this team can't get something going offensively, and that does seem to go back to the coaching side of things. Quite honestly, in my opinion. Uh, Brian Bell jumping in here with the $5 super chat. I think the, the Broncos should go no huddle on offense and play more man coverage on defense. What's your take, Eric? Mm, I agree with going more no huddle on offense. Um, I don't agree going man because they're much worse on, in man than zone. Yeah. Like, from an efficiency standpoint, anyways. And to be fair, they are mostly man right now. 
um, running it a much higher percentage of the time. What did you say? Uh, so two man was the was the, the one, or was it cover two? Cover two is the cover two. They use cover two and man one, I think, about evenly. Yeah. Let's run back to the comment section, see if I can't find something like that. Uh, DBA jumping in here. Is Munchak an overrated offensive line guru, or is the personnel just too bad for him to make anything out of it? The personnel is too bad for him to make anything out of it. <laughs> I was I, when when he gets players with potential, he's able to help and develop them. I mean, we saw what he did with Garrett Bowles, and yes, Garrett Bowles he regressed towards the mean a little bit. I don't think people should be surprised by that. He's not some he just last year was an outlier, and honestly, what he's paid is still worth because he got under he got drastically underpaid when he at the time of when he got paid for how his play was. Um, Dalton Reisner doesn't fit what the Broncos want to do offensively. Uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, uh, not even going to touch that. I mean, he's doing all right. Um, Graham Glasgow is just solid. Like, he's got his issues. He's overpaid. Like, he's playing injured a lot. Quinn, Quinn, Miners, Quinn Miners is showing potential, and then they just can't figure out anything at right tackle. Like, he's doing what he can, but like, you, you can give a guy a turd to polish, and it's still going to be a turd. That's true. And I mean, technically you can uh, polish a turd. They proved that on Mythbusters, by the way. Uh, uh, No, I I agree with you, Eric, on that one. Um, Actually, the offensive line for the majority of what we've seen has played uh, quite honestly above their skill level. They like, it hasn't been terrible by any stretch of the imagination. Teddy Bridgewater, as far as holding the football, does that a little bit too much. He takes some sacks that he doesn't need to take. Um, There's been some scheme issues in there as well, specifically um, and communication issues there, uh, specifically on that sack that that Teddy Bridgewater took in the uh, the Pittsburgh game in the red zone, um, where they they ran kind of a delayed blitz with uh, with uh, Devin Bush and he came inside the tackle and Javante Williams and Bobby Massey both took the edge defender and let Bush come free up the middle of the field. That was seemingly a, a big communication issue, but for the most part, this offensive line really hasn't played terribly as far as in pass protection, and they've been doing a lot better of a job in the running game than people want to give them credit for. It's I I I, I don't know how to explain it anymore. Like there's there's things to work with here. Why isn't it working? Just I mean, it's just me. a lot of it, especially against the run. It's one or two players fail. It happens to be consistently Dalton Reiser and Lloyd Cushenberry when they're both out there. Um, Jordy Moncrief came in and said Q minor was horrible in pass protection. Um, Q minor has in his limited action has been the best Broncos offensive lineman and he did a much better job. I mean, he was great, better to get in the run, obviously, but he held his own against in pass protection much more than, uh, Natani Moody did. Um, and honestly we should be hitting the point where Quinn minor is actually at least discussing him should be starting. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, BG jumping back in here with another $5 super. Outside of Vaughn and Williams, there's nothing to get excited about watching this team play. Uh, you guys missed a super chat at uh, 841. Uh, who was that? Scott, can, do you think that you can go back and find that so that we can give the shout out? That Apologies for that, guys. It didn't even realize that it came into that. Um, is there any way we can get back to that by any stretch of the imagination? Maybe I'll take a look at here as well. Um, Travis Weber jumping in saying great show tonight, guys have a good night and enjoy your weekend. Uh, continue prayers to all in need go Broncos and Travis. Thank you for that. We appreciate that buddy. Um, as far as Quinn Miners is concerned, the, the thing that really stuck out to me was he started that game against jets and was going against Quinn and Williams a lot. 
and he played uh, he didn't start he played a lot in the in the game against the Jets excuse me on that uh but he went against Quinn and Williams and fellow runs of Fadakasi and that dude stood those guys up like frequently I noticed it watching it live with Eric in the stands and he was holding his own against one of the probably what top seven interior defensive lineman and Quinn and Williams like he was playing incredibly well uh, he's moving guys off the spot he's pulling well his awareness is on point like this Eric's absolutely right Quinn Miners is really on the verge of becoming a starter for this team um, and hopefully it's quite honestly for for Dalton Reisner who has been really really rough this season let's just say that uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm trying to find – we got the, the Bama Broncos super chat, and I'm not seeing anything else. The stream jumped on me, and it is now gone. So apologize for that. We'll uh, we'll run it back, and I'll give you guys a shout-out on, um, on, on Twitter or something like that. Brian Greenfield, okay. Uh, we played better under Vance Joseph, and that's bad. I feel we have a good chance to get beat bad versus the Raiders, to be honest. Eric? I disagree. I don't think Denver played better under Vance Joseph. Uh, I think they looked far more unprepared, far more frequently, and far more way over their heads. Granted, the team back then, if you want to do a adjustment for the talent that they had, the team back then wasn't quite as talented as it is now. So if you want to factor that in, sure, you can uh, um, go that way and say, yeah, it was better than, but just, but it wasn't good, like by no means. No, it, what Vance is doing with the personnel that he has down there in Arizona right now is is actually quite incredible. That defense is playing pretty well from what I understand. Um, Buda Baker looks to be great. Chandler Jones is just off the charts. That guy had five sacks in a game in week one. So, But he's dialing up some interesting concepts defensively. He's uh, like adapting very well with his game plans. They're, they're allowing a lot of yards. I will say that. They do allow a lot of yards. Um, but they, quite honestly, they make – key plays and key situations. And if you're, if you're going to be that kind of a defense where you have to, you, where you're allowing big plays and allowing points to be scored, getting yourself off of the field when you have to, that's what you need to have. And that goes into coaching that goes into execution of the play calls that are being designed. And quite honestly, Vance Joseph is doing a good job of getting his guys prepared defensively right now. So like can't, and can't blame on the guy. Just want to grab this says that's because Joseph ran more man. Uh, no, he didn't. Wasn't it more? It was like two man and cover three, wasn't it? It was zone heavy. Remember. He ran. He ran different variations of zone coverage over like seventy percent of the time, sixty percent, sixty percent of the time, something like that. Ah, gotcha. Uh, let's take another run at the chat. We're at an hour now, guys. So I think we're gonna get out of here unless there's something. Uh, I got. I got to grab my my favorite person in the chat, Jody Moncrief, because oh. we love to go back and forth about the offensive line. Uh, Q miners and Moody are good run blocking, but pass protection needs help. Um, Quinn Miners has the second highest pass blocking efficiency among offensive linemen this year. He's done a fantastic job as a pass blocker. Um, and he's done very well as a run defender. Are there a couple plays? Of course there are. I mean, there always are going to be some bad plays. There was one against the Baltimore Ravens where Clayus Campbell just came like a shot out, like out of a cannon and, and just shoved Miners over. I mean, it's going to be an issue, but yeah, Miners has done extremely well for the Broncos when he's been out there. I I think a big part of it is the the good flashes are just silent flashes. Like you don't necessarily notice him. You got to really slow it down, pay attention, and watch him. But the bad flashes well, are the, bad. The thing is, is that you don't notice offensive linemen's play ninety percent of the time unless it's bad. Right. 
And the, the, that's what it is. I mean, because then it ends up leading to a blown up run play or a sack or something like that. So it's just so much easier to notice that you have to actually be actively watching the offensive line to really notice how well a player is playing. And, and like I said, slow it down, take another good look, check the hand placement and stuff like that. And Miners has actually been playing pretty well in that aspect. There's there's not a lot of mistakes, but the mistakes that he does make are very, very noticeable. And like Eric said, that that one play uh, against Calais Campbell, there was another play against the Jets. I think it was Folo Fadakasi who blew him up and pushed him back a couple of yards. Uh, and ended up get, was that a, I think that was a tackle for loss. Um, there's been some other issues with him as well, but he's a rookie. But in the in the flashes that he has in the positive light are very, very good. Like he's he's playing good football. And for a rookie to come in, step in, offer a little bit of an impact, even as a rotational offensive lineman and coming in as a backup, you can't hate the guy. You really can't. He's playing pretty damn good football. Anyways, See, I think it's time we get out of here. Okay. We're, about, we're six minutes, six in, or an hour, six in, so. Okay, sounds good. With that, guys, we're going to shut her down with the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast tonight. Uh, Scott, I got the controls here. You guys can follow us on Twitter by finding me at Sanderson MHH. Wait, let's, where's this banner at? I got it. There we go. At Sanderson MHH for Eric, at Eric Trickle for Scott, at Scout Kennedy. Also, guys, while you're at it, make sure you follow at DVDD underscore pod. That's the podcast account where you're going to find out what we're talking about every single week. Uh, also, guys, at Mile High Huddle. That's the mother account. That's where you're going to get breaking news and analysis on your Denver Broncos. Anything that hits milehighhuddle.com is going to be posted there. And anything regarding the Huddle Up Podcast Network, you're going to find that there as well. So at Mile High Huddle for film breakdowns, opinion articles, anything regarding your Denver Broncos. Uh, Facebook supporters, make sure you go to facebook.com slash milehighhuddle. Click that blue become a supporter button where you're going to find premium content like the Trickle Zone, which airs every Saturday at noon. Now, Eric, what do you have planned for the Trickle Zone this week? Um, Actually, not sure. I got to get with Chad. With Chad being on vacation and what's going on in my personal life, um, we're not sure what's going on. I'm not sure what's going on with the Trickle Zone at the moment. And uh, for personal reasons, it might actually be temporarily canceled. Not sure yet. Um, I got to talk to Chad and figure out. Okay. Well, and again, that, that goes out to you. You have your own family, personal issues you have to get taken care of. And uh, we, we don't blame you on that. So we'll, we'll put a, we'll put a pause on the trickle zone for now, but anyways, guys, you're going to get the uh, Kelberman's corner and uh, Broncos book club with Chad Jensen every Sunday as well. Um, guys, if you're financially able to do so head on over to huddle That's the merch booth. That's where you're going to get yourself a hat. You get a t-shirt if you want one. Uh, there's a, a face mask, a coffee cup. There's actually another coffee cup for the Broncos for breakfast with Scott Kennedy and Nick Kendall. Uh, check that out. I need to get one of those, by the way. Uh, there's a face mask, a onesie for your baby. If that's your fancy anything for the guys for the gals anything to suit your fancy that's where you're going to get it at huddleuppod.com and guys if you're not financially able to do so uh, not be a super chat or you know become a supporter on facebook or just getting merch is not necessarily your bag everybody should be subscribed to mile high huddle on every platform youtube facebook twitter twitch subscribe if you guys like the content make sure you like every single video like every single article like all the tweets and everything like that and if you love it, share it. Get in front of as many Broncos fans as possible because that is the most organic way you can help the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast and also Mile High Huddle in general expand and grow because without your guys' support, we could not do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now with that, Eric, I'm going to take one more quick scan through the comment section. But before we leave, any last words, buddy? Uh, yeah, just remember that football is football. I mean, we're all fans of it. We all love it. But uh, remember that family should always come first. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, we're going to, we're going to get out of here with that. Uh, sorry to the rest of the chat. I, I definitely feel what's going on here. Um, you all stay safe and take care. Have a great rest of your weekend. And we'll, we'll talk to you guys next week. Same time, same place. And as always go Broncos. You've been listening to the huddle up podcast. Join Broncos country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.